Everybody, uh, turn with me, please. First Peter 4. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. We're going to be doing some different things today, okay? I have some brand new technology that I'm using up here. It's probably going to be a little rough to get it started. So if you would bear with me, I would very much appreciate that. So just so you know, what we're doing differently is, is I'm running everything I'm talking about today through this, okay? And so if it's a little odd or whatever, or if it breaks down, we don't know what's going to happen. This is Grace Bible Church. Just be gracious and look at your Bibles. We'll be fine, okay? We're, we're resuming a study called the gifts in the body. Some of you thought this study was over. You were wrong, okay? And the reason is, is because we've gone through all of the gifts. We've actually gone through and labeled them all out. There are five speaking gifts. There are six serving gifts. We've given a synopsis of what each gift is. We tried to use one sermon per gift in order to unfold what that might look like when people exercise those gifts in the New Testament and what that ministry of the Holy Spirit looks like. But then we've also spent a lot of time on the question of you might not have the same gift as somebody else and that's okay because we're all one body in Christ and we've been given different gifts in order to work together because we are used by God with the gifts that he's given us in order to build one another up. That is our purpose. That's what we live for. The church is only to be doing two things, evangelizing and discipling. And part of discipling is being part of the body of Christ and being built up. But that has to happen in a spiritual way. If it happens in a fleshly way, it is doomed to fail. You will always find sin in the midst of it. And so what we're going to do this morning is, is we're going to give a short little, hopefully short, you know how I roll, but that's okay. A short little refresher of things that we've seen so far, a reminder, and then moving forward into the context in which gifts have to happen. Everybody ready? Okay, great. So the first thing that we're dealing with here as far as gifts are concerned is going to be our little pie chart. Everybody remember our pie chart? And what we saw here were all the gifts that were lifted out. Now, we're going to see how these categories are divided up, but I just want to get your mind locked in with what we're looking at so far. In 1 Peter 4, we all in 1 Peter 4? We there? Okay, great. Notice, as each one has received a special gift. Now, something I want to note for you real quick, and this technology gives me the power to do this. This is great. Everybody see this word? Oh, go back. No, go back. Do this. See, I told you guys it's going to be fun. There it is. Everybody see that? Ooh. Right? <laughs> Everybody see the word special? It's in italics, which means that the translators have added this to the situation to try to unfold it. But if we remember what we learned in 1 Corinthians 12, we actually found out that these are called grace gifts. The Greek word charisma or charismata is what it comes from, and the word charis is the word for grace. These are gifts that are undeserved that God has graciously bestowed on us through the victory of Christ over death sin and the grave and when he led those captive those captives captive back he kind of plundered them and took all the power from them and he turned around and he graciously gave it to the church one of the greatest problems we deal with is we don't think that church is relevant today that we'd much rather be checking out what different types of earwax we have between the right and left ear than spend any sort of quality time in the church enjoying its benefits because we don't know what it is to be spiritual people 
We don't see churches acting any different. We see this scandal going on here, this problem going on here. And it all becomes this great, well, who wants to deal with all that mess? The church has lost what it is to be holy and spiritual. And it's everything that God died for and rose for in order to endow the church with and proving it by depositing his Holy Spirit in every single believer as a guarantee of the redemption that's to come. All of that is a thrust, is an encouragement towards one goal, and that is exercising our gifts amongst one another so that one another will be built up. So this word right here, special, it doesn't necessarily need to be there, but if we need to understand anything here, it is actually a grace gift. Now, grace gifts don't just sit. That's one of the greatest problems we have. Well, I just want to know what my gift is. Great. Let's go through. Let's check it out. See what the word has to say. Let's give you just a little bit of tests here and that kind of thing. Let's get you involved. Let's see. Well, I didn't really want to do anything with it. I just wanted to kind of know what it was. Your gift wasn't a bigger brain. That's not what it was. The word of God is never for simply knowing. It is always about transforming us into the image of Christ. To actually putting feet on doctrine. Always. And it's always in relation to one another. Always. So notice what it says, employ it in serving who? One another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Two conditions that we have here, two categories that are valid. Whoever speaks, that's number one. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. That's got to be a spiritual exercise. Flesh cannot come up with replicating the utterances of God. It's impossible. But notice, whoever serves, everybody see that? Number two is to be serving by the strength which God supplies. Honestly, this is where we get in more trouble than anything. When we're operating a speaking gift and we're not using it as the utterances of God, that's when you find out that by the end of your conversation, you've got two pair, or, or sorry, one pair of shoes firmly shoved right all up in your mouth. That's how you find that out, because that's what the flesh does. The flesh just, that's it. When serving, we get burnt out, and we get tired, and we get whiny and complaining, and why can't this person just do this, and why can't this person just act this way, and we're, why is that? All flesh. It's not drawing from the strength that God has provided. The indwelling spirit, the holy word, getting the mind renewed, asking God, God, if this is going to be anything for your glory, I need you to do the work through me. And then we make the dangerous prayer. I am submitting myself to you. That's a dangerous prayer. You know why? Because if you give yourself to God, he'll use you. And some people don't like that because of what it costs them to walk in that area. Here's a reason. Again, I've, I've been dying to do this since I got here. You ready? This is a big moment for me. So that, ah, this is the reason. Anytime that you see so that, here is the reason why. In all things, God may be, here's the chief end of everything, that he may be glorified. Is God being glorified in our church? He's only glorified in one big way. As we're operating our speaking and our serving gifts according to utterances as he would give and according to strength that he provides. That's it. It's all God doing God things through God's people for God's glory. All of it's God. So notice it's through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the, there it is again, glory 
and dominion forever and ever. I, I love this pen. This is great. Okay. So I'm going to put this down now. That's a lot of fun. All right. So now here's a review. Inside of your handouts today, you've got a little sheet. And I printed this up for you. This was a slide I actually used a really, really long time ago. Okay. But this is a review just to get our minds caught up. Here are some things we observe from this passage. Okay. Just these two verses. Number one, each believer's received a gift. If you're a believer in Christ, you have a gift. There is no, well, I just don't have anything. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, yes, you have it. God gave it to you. You may not know what it is. You may not be familiar with it. You might not even be comfortable with it. You guys should have seen me in speech class. I'm not kidding. My sophomore year, you should have seen me in speech class. I know what you're thinking. You look over at your spouse, you're like, we can't get him to shut up now. What's the difference? Is it because I became a better speaker? No. It's the Spirit of God. That's the difference. The Spirit of God is the only difference that would take me from a D-plus student to talking about God's Word. It's only the Spirit. It's only the Spirit for you. Number two, this gift is for serving other believers. Gifts are never for self. Get rid of that thinking. Because that's when Bible study becomes an end in itself. It's just me and my light and my concordance and my commentary and my Bible and my pens. No, 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 no. It doesn't exist in our little intellectual igloo there. That's not how it works. Everything that we receive from the word of God, every encouragement, every bit of worship, whatever it is, is always for the purpose of spilling over onto those around us. That's how the church keeps going. Next one, number three. Serving one another makes us good stewards of this gift. That's how we operate in grace. What does it mean to be a good steward of the gift? Put it in the right direction. It goes to other people. If you want to manage your spiritual gift well, others, not self. Others, not self. The self-life is what we're trying to get saved from. Yes, Christians need to get saved. What do we need to get saved from? The power of sin that's trying to take us down all the time and what self wants all the time. Get rid of that. How do we do that? How do we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Spiritual gifts. Employ spiritual gifts God's way and you find that all of a sudden you're not worried about what the flesh does. Number four, spiritual gifts demonstrate the manifold grace of God amongst the church. That's what everybody outside of my hearing right now wants to see. Lost people don't even know what they need. I tell you what they need. They need to see the grace of God. Where's the grace of God located? Within the body of Christ. That's what they need to see. That's what will draw them to Christ. It's always what the Spirit uses. The next one, number five. The first category of spiritual gifts is speaking. We need to know that. There are actually three categories. One is passed off the scene. Speaking, serving, and signs. And signs is passed off the scene. And for the next two months, I'm going to show you why that is, okay? Number six, those with speaking gifts are to use them as speaking the what? Utterances of God. This is the way you determine a false teacher. If they've got anything to say to you, one of the most important things they should have within their two-foot proximity of themselves is God's word. If somebody's going to get up there with a the microphone and just run back and forth on the stage and yell at you, you're at the wrong place. Give that guy a job as an auctioneer, but don't go to his church. It's insane. The word of God. That's where it has to come from. The next one. The second category is what? Serving. And notice this serving is to be done with the strength 
that God supplies. You say, okay, Jeremy, that sounds real like out there. What does that look like? What does that look like? We don't really know, do we? What does it look like to use my serving gift in the strength that God supplies? Do we wear out? We get tired. Yeah, happens all the time. You're like, I'm tired now, you know? Our kids are getting up at 5 a.m. every morning. We're like, preach it, yes. I'm tired. How do you keep going? How do you get new, invigorated, yeah, for the situation? It's got to be the Holy Spirit working in you. And if the Holy Spirit is the pilot light, what is the gas? The Word of God. When the Word of God is coupled with the Spirit of God, you have spiritual dynamite that takes place. This is why we go back to his word and we draw from his word. Did you guys, okay, I'm going to tell you this. Not many people know it. You ready? Everything God says in this book is true. You giggle because it's obvious, isn't it? So why are we so worn out? Maybe that's what it is. Yes, Brenda. Brenda, right? Thank you. That's exactly right. It's because so often we're involved In ministries, we have no business being involved in. We're trying to exercise spiritual gifts that we don't have. And we wonder why we're so frustrated. Some of us have the gift of speaking. Some of us don't. Guess what? That's okay. One's not better than the other. In fact, the Word of God, if you remember what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, tells us God uses what would be deemed as lesser gifts, and He exalts them even more. He makes them even more important in the body. Why? Because he's balancing all out for Christ to be the focus, not me and what I have or what I don't have. It's not about me. And I'm not in competition with Zach. That's not the way that it works. So a lot of things that we put on ourselves to be strenuous with spiritual gifts, it doesn't need to be there. Number nine, God is glorified through our use of spiritual gifts when they're used his way. When they're used his way. Number six and number eight show that spiritual gifts must be done by faith, not flesh. When they're done by faith, they're being done spiritually. When I read God's word, I believe what he has said, and I therefore conduct myself and walk forward in that way. What God said, leading my way. You're walking spiritually. You know what you're also doing when you're doing that? Get this, you're not sinning. Did you realize it's possible for you to go a length of time without sinning? How do you go a length of time without sinning? You're believing God's word and you're moving forward in faith. When you're doing that, there is no sin. You say, that's impossible. No, you just haven't tried it yet. The problem is, is we sit there and go, man, I haven't sinned in a long time. And all of a sudden, nah, we do it. You know, that's our problem. We're falling. You're going to sin. Don't get that wrong. That's why we need the blood of Jesus continually. But when we're serving the Lord his way, you actually find that there's nothing but fullness of joy in the midst of that. You don't even care about sin anymore. It's a really great place to be. So, moving forward. Oh, we're going backwards. Bear with me. So here we go. If you turn that sheet over, what are the implications we see? Number one, every believer has a a gift, therefore everybody can serve. There's not one person who has a spiritual gift of seat warmer. It's impossible. Okay? Neither are you crockpot. That's not you. Okay? You are living You are active, you have the Spirit of God, and God has brought you here for a reason, to do things for His good pleasure, working with brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? That's very important. If you're saying, you know what, I don't know if God led us here, come talk to me. Let's talk about how you came about to be here. Let's talk about what your spiritual gift is. If you haven't gone through the test yet, 
Let me lead you through the test. I need to print up more of those booklets. We're out of them right now. But we need to go through this and let's start having the continual conversation about this. This is not a sermon series. It's just like goes away. I showed up on Sunday. Wow, that was great. I got a little bit out of it. Yeah, I can't remember on Monday what in the world we learned. Don't do that. This is about affecting everyone in a different way. Number two, by giving gifts, this means that God has plans for us. This really, God's got something for us to do. He's got his will and good works. And guess what? They go together. Always. How about number three? By giving gifts, his will and his good works can only be accomplished by what he supplies. He is the power source. Nathaniel looked at me the other day and he goes, Dad, what can I do with my flower? And I looked at it and it's all, you know, it looks like that. I said, buddy, not really anything. He's like, well, I want to put it in water. I said, well, you can, and it might look a little better for a moment. You know, I'm giving him some hope here, right? But when did you pick that? Oh, a couple of days ago. I said, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I did this. But do you realize that that's been taken away from the life source? And that's why it's not looking any better. It's looking worse and worse. Guys, it's the same way with spiritual gifts. We're trying to do these things and we're unplugged from the life source. It's just getting worse and worse. More frustration, more anger, more complaining. That's what happens. No, it's got to be done God's way by what he supplies. It's his way done with his word, done in his power by which the spirit, his spirit is in us. And we're simply the tools that he chooses to use. Now, if it is him, if it is him working through us, the problem, our submission, I'm going to get the pen out if you don't believe me. Our submission is the only way to experience the supernatural. God wants to work, but he's waiting for a canvas to be on. He wants to work, but he's waiting for a, for, for a rock to say, yeah, sculpt me, Lord. Make me into something beautiful. He's waiting for it. If you want to pray an amazing prayer, be ready for it. Don't ask of God and then not expect that he's really going to answer you. Lord, I'm submitting to you. Use me for your glory. It'll change your life. How about the last one here? We must handle these grace gifts faithfully exercising God's gifts in God's way will be a major factor regarding faithfulness at the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers are not on trial to go to hell. That's not what this is. It's actually a tribunal where believers are called up and rewarded for faithfulness in this life. And it is always based on two criteria. Number one, do I know what God's word has said? Number two, am I choosing what God's word says over what this world has to say? You live by those two points, you're going to come through with flying colors at the judgment seat of Christ. He will reward you richly. Crowns, robes, whatever he wants to give to you. He loves to give. He loves to reward. And it all comes from heeding his word. Are we caught up? We good? Who's asleep? Okay, just making sure. Because you're getting ready to not be. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there real quick. Some of you might already be there. I'm so psyched up about everything I'm using today, I don't even know what's going on, okay? Here's what he says. So I'll give you a second to turn there. Oh, we got all kinds of time. This is great. I, well, I, I looked at it, I thought, I'm going to review this and I'm going to have like 15 minutes. That's not the case. I got at least 30. So, and if you're all in the spirit, I've got like an hour and a half, so it's good. <laughs> verse 29 this was kind of concluding his argument about the diversity of gifts but the importance of unity in the body and allowing people to be different 
Not every Christian is to look the same. Not every Christian is supposed to exercise the same type of gift. And this was the problem in Corinth. They all wanted to speak in tongues and they were all doing their greatest tongue imitation, okay? And so when Paul's going through here, he wants to list off some things. Are not apostles, all are not apostles, are they? Answer it, church. No. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Okay. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No, they do not. But here's the thing. It then says in your translation, but earnestly desire the greatest gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Now, this gets me in trouble with some, and that's okay. But I want you to think about this real quick because we have a translation problem here, okay? Here, let's just review quickly what it was. Number one, the way that the Bible has been translated with this in English is it's listing it as an imperative. And that means that it's either a command or an exhortation that Paul is giving to them. And therefore it's translated, but earnestly desire the greater gifts and I show you still a more excellent way. Now, are you and I to go, man, I think that exhortation is such a great gift, but I just don't have it. So Paul tells me, I need to earnestly desire that gift. God, give me exhortation. God, give me exhortation. God, give me exhortation. Is that what it's asking for? No, it's not. In fact, it being translated like that is completely contrary to everything he just said in verse or in chapter 12. He said, you have a gift and your gift's okay. You don't need the other person's gift. You have your gift and it makes you unique and different and God wants to use that gift and that gift is so necessary as a vital life-giving, encouraging, building up part of the whole. So everything in Paul's argument points to that direction. And you watch here and you go, wait a second, what's going on? Another translation, and some have actually translated this way, and I think it's a better translation, is the indicative. He's stating a fact. And what he's doing is is he's he's assessing their situation. The problem is, is that not everybody has all these gifts, but all of you are trying to speak in tongues and you don't have the gift. So how does it be translated? You are desiring the sensational gift. By the way, I have this too. You're desiring the sensational gifts. I'm getting ready to pull black cats out back here and let them go. I don't know. You are desiring the sensational gifts. You're all clamoring after one thing and the body needs diversity and some of you don't have it. And you wonder why things aren't being exercised spiritually and you're not being built up. It's because you're trying to imitate in the flesh. It doesn't work. And so what you need, Corinth, what you need, Grace Bible Church, is a greater way, a more excellent way. That leads us to this. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now look what he says here. He probably brings up tongues first here. Because it was the point of abuse of which they were having so much problems. But notice he starts with the idea of an utterance that comes out of the mouth. Okay? Now here's what's interesting. Everybody see where it says tongues? He gives you two, two interesting qualifiers here. Of men and what? Angels. If you're somebody who owns Tony Evans' Bible commentary, and you were to look this passage up, you would find a very interesting note there. Here's what our friend Tony says. Angels only spoke human languages in scripture now here's the reason why that's important because there are some people some christians some people who are born again believers 
who think that when you're speaking in tongues, it's some sort of celestial language, an angelic language. They came from another place. It's ethereal. It's of the, the next world. It's of another dimension. It's the idea of what they speak in heaven. Understand this. When God created language, he started with Hebrew. And the reason is, is because God desires to be understood. And so he gave the language of Hebrew to them in the very beginning so that he could begin to communicate that. It's God's language. When we translate in this, there's nowhere in Scripture where somebody comes across an angel appearing to somebody and speaking, and what they speak is, and we just don't know what he said here. Because it's a different dialect, it's another language, nobody can figure it out, it obviously doesn't exist today. That's never the case. Anytime an angel shows up, the word angel means, anybody know? Messenger. He's there to say something. And if he's not understood clearly by the person he's talking to, there's trouble. Because he's bringing a message from, anybody want to guess? From God. Does God want to be understood? Always. So this idea that, well, maybe this men and angels thing here, we're we're dealing with a language that we don't know, a language, no, 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 no. We're dealing with a language that is known because every time angels communicate in Scripture, they do it in a way to be understood. This is actually a literary device. It's known as a merism. And the idea is, is I'm going to give this side and I'm going to give this side of a situation. And it really encompasses everything in between. I'm talking about here and I'm talking about here and I'm talking about the whole gamut of it. If you were to come along and either speak as a regular person or speak as an angel, what did people do when they saw angels? They fell down. They freaked out, right? They hid themselves. And so if you were to do it in such a grand way like that, here's a problem. But do not have what? Love. Oh, you sleepy people out there. You know what this word is, yes? What is it? Agape. Agape. What is agape love? What is it? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Let's, let's be intelligible here. Don't try to speak to me in a language of angels. Yes. Perfect love. That's the way we understand it. Who else? Great love. Who, who said that? Maxine, did I tell you to raise your hand? <laughs> that was that everybody else but you? You're shy. You answered out loud. Don't. <laughs> the Lord knows. Mickey, what is it? Clarity. Unconditional. What do you think, Tom? You, you got it? Oh, unconditional? No, I'm not calling on you. <laughs> Hannah. Say what? The highest form of love, we're kind of talking about around it, but what is, Jay, I'm going to give you a chance here. Consuming. No. Okay. (laughs) I love you. Remind me to hug you later. Bart. Complete. These are all good descriptions. These are all kind of getting at it. Here's the greatest thing you can do. Tom, I am not calling you. If I call it on Jay, I'm not calling on you, okay? This is dynamite on both sides of the room. What do you got, Tom? Go for it. Whoa. You realize in Scripture you're supposed to love me like that, Tom? (laughs) Desiring the best for the object that is being loved. That's a pretty, that's nailing it. Let's look at a few Scriptures. I'm going to give you a chance to turn to these. I would like you to look at them and at least have them. If you're looking for something to dwell on for this week, that would be great. The first one that we're going to look at here is going to be John 13. This is Jesus' unfolding When he wants to really state something hard about love, he's pressing it at just the right point with these guys. 
So look what he says here, John 13. I'm sorry, I'll give you a moment to turn there. I'm real excited about it. There it is. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you pay attention, love one another. Guys, stop. We could spend the rest of our time on this because who he is talking about right now, at the very least, is everybody in this room. Everybody in this room. Loving one another. Okay? Now, thank you, Jesus, for that very challenging and hard thing. You know, they were all kind of looking over like, but Thomas doubts a lot, man. I don't know about that guy. Right? We want to disregard somebody about reasons why. We like to give ourselves reasons as to why we shouldn't obey a commandment. We never do that out loud. We always do it in our head. Right? I can't love that person. Well, yeah, you can't. There's got to be something different. What I love is, is that Jesus doesn't let it just sit there. Love one another. Here it is. Even as I have loved you even as I have loved you. There's the example. One of the greatest reasons why we have the Gospels in Scripture is because we get to see Jesus unfolding His love for humanity. If you only read the four Gospels and got you out one of those big yellow pads, 11 by 14, those are my favorite, yellow pads, and you sit there and you said, how Jesus loves in the Gospels. Start in Matthew 1 and work your way through all four of them. There's a good Bible study. I'll tell you what, you're going to need probably two pads in order to get that one done. Because that's everything that Jesus did. Everything he did was unfold love. And why? Because he wants to show you what he's like. The way that the church learns how to interact with one another is, yes, good instruction from New Testament epistles, absolutely. But when you've got the life of Christ on display, that's preaching a message it's worth hearing. That is lining out for us perfectly how we ought to interact with other people. I tell you what it really does is it makes me recognize just how fragmented and inadequate that I am, and it draws me to pray, Lord, if I'm going to love, I need your power working through me to love. How did Jesus love people? Anybody know? He had the Spirit. The Holy Spirit working through him to love people. Why did he need that? Because even with Jesus, people are hard to love. If God wasn't love, it would be as exceedingly difficult as it is for us. And why is that? Because sin gets in the way. Whether it's ours or whether it's theirs. Sin makes it difficult to love. Here is the model, Jesus Christ. Even as I have loved you, that you also love, here it is again, one another. By this, when you love one another as Jesus loved us, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He brings one another up three times in those two verses. You think that's important? Look at the repetitions. Three one another's and a whole lot of love. Everybody see it? Yes, Robert Plant got it right. Moving on. Let's turn to 1 John 4. Some of you don't know who Robert Plant is. That's okay. 1 John 4. Everybody doing good? Great. We still got a lot of time. 1 John 4, look at verse 7. 
Beloved. Now that automatically gets your attention, doesn't it? But that's how John thought about fellow believers. You're beloved. That's a pretty big deal. Beloved. Let us love one another. Oh, we've seen that before. Who do you think he stole that from? John's material isn't new. He ripped off Jesus, right? God gave him eyes, plagiarized. That's exactly what he did. Okay? Love one another. Major principle. Look what he says. For, here's the explanation. Love is from who? Exactly. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Notice two things there. Born of God, born again, so now you're a believer, and knows God, is growing in a knowledge of God. In other words, a person who is exhibiting love for one another as God has love is somebody who is not just a believer, but one who is growing in their faith. Look what it says in verse 8. The one who does not know God, uh, sorry, the uh, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You can't say that you have a vibrant love relationship with God if love is not overflowing from you. It's impossible. It's a contradiction of terms. For a Christian, it should never be so. The whole reason why we were redeemed was because God so loved the world. Isn't that what we're told? We all know that one, 316, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all about the exuding love of God. Why in the world would God save sinners? Because he loves. He didn't look at us and say, wow, there's something really worthy there worth getting. We polished him up enough. I bet we'll find some gold underneath. That's not how it happened. He said, there is nothing good in them, but because I am love, I can't leave them by themselves. So he goes on a search party and seeks to rescue us. How about the next one here? Verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That's an interesting thing. Made known internally. How would that happen there? Look what he says. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Here's the reason. So that, here's the manifested in us part, that we might live through him. Why? Because apart from the Savior, people are dead. And so when they hear the gospel and they respond in faith, they are made alive by the Spirit at that moment. And when that happens, they actually have the life of God residing in them. And it is an internal evidence of one thing. God loves you. God loves you. God wants us to know that he loves us so bad he's changing us from the inside out. That's a pretty sweet deal. How about verse 10 and 11? In this is love. I love this. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Don't think for a second you got in there first, right? God, I love you. God's going, no, you don't. I had to send my son to die for you and redeem you. You're a rebel. You're a renegade. You want everything but me. You desire filth when you could have holiness. God's got to get in there and do something. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And here it is again. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is a $5 word that means satisfaction. He came to satisfy the sin issue. He came to take the debt that we had incurred, to pay it off completely, and then to turn around in grace, giving us the opposite that we deserve, and heaping riches on us. That's intense. That's incredible. That's God. That's what God does. Beloved, here it is again. We saw beloved before we started this. Beloved, if God so loved us, and you might want to write in there on your margin, it only makes sense. If God so loved us, we ought to love who? 
Man, there it is again. There it is again. We ought to love one another. Last one that we'll look at here about what love may look like. And this is an interesting one. Everybody see this? Galatians 5, 22, 23. Turn there. I know all you Beth Moore fans already know this verse by heart. <laughs> I'm here to have fun. I don't know why you came. But anyway. <clears throat> He's contrasting what the flesh produces, which is everything that's horrible and everything that should be expected from the flesh. And we could get in that. I don't want to labor the discussion too much. But then he goes to what it looks like for the spirit to be working. And I want you to notice something incredibly important. Chapter 5, verse 22. Everybody see this word right here? Notice this. It's in the singular. You need to pay attention to that. Because here's sometimes what we do to try to judge our spiritualness. Well, I've got kindness and goodness, but I don't exactly have gentleness right now. Is that possible? Guess what? It's not. Look what it says. But the fruit of the who? The Spirit. And why is that? Because that is where the power is. And notice the very first thing that the fruit, singular, is of the Spirit. Number one, what? Love, agape. The very first thing. If you want to know the Spirit of God working through your life as you're walking in obedience with the Lord, what you'll find is, is that love will be there. You'll start loving people you never thought you'd love in your life. All of a sudden, unlovable people became lovable. Aren't you glad you know God? That's exactly what he did with us. Took a very unlovable people and loved us. Incredible. Notice it's a fruit of his spirit. That's where the power comes through that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You can never accuse it of wrongdoing. There's no sin operating when we're operating in the spirit. All of these are the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Everybody see that? So if one is being produced, all of them are going to be produced, and agape is part of what that looks like. Now, can I move forward? I can. Charles Ryrie quote. He summed it up really well. In fact, if you've got his uh, study Bible, you'll find this in your margin. Okay, Agape characterizes God... And what he manifested in the gift of his son. If you want to know what agape love looks like, it looks like selfless giving of the best that you have for the benefit of somebody else expecting nothing in return. That's agape love. It is more than mutual affection. That might be more of a phileo, a brotherly type of love. It expresses unselfish esteem of the object loved. Christ's Love for us is undeserved and without thought of return. Do you realize that? This is what gets us in the problem of a works religion situation. Well, Jesus did this for me, so I need to do this for him. Everybody realize that's called heresy? That is works righteousness. God did it all because we could do nothing. He offers it all freely so that we would pay him back later, so we would get in on that Walmart plan. What are those things? Layaway? Layaway. I got grace on layaway. Do you really? What? No. A gift is given for one reason, and that is to be received. We receive the work of Christ on our behalf, in our stead, vicarious, substitutionary, complete. Notice it says here, the love that his followers show, Paul now says, should be 
the same. Or let's say it this way. If this is the way, go back to John 13. If this is the way that Christ loves us, should we not then seek to love one another? Doesn't it just make sense? Doesn't it just seem spiritually right to be in that vein? I think so. And I think I messed up on this slide. We need to go back to number one. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 13.1. There it is. Everybody go back to 1 Corinthians 13.1. You got that? If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. Here's a problem in Corinth. Everybody was clamoring after tongues, but nobody was doing it lovingly. When Paul looked at Corinth, there was a lack of love in the body of Christ. We know they have problems, right? If you've read this book through, you sit there and go, good grief, the heap of problems. I could create a laundry list of problems, yes. And so anytime that they talked, it was nothing intelligible or worth hearing. It was nothing that was building up one another. If your speech is without love, if exercising something as miraculous as tongues is without love, it's no good. Why even have it? Who even cares? Anybody? In fact, if you'll think back, one of the things we did before we got into 1 Corinthians 12 was we talked about all the mystery religions of Corinth. And there was a mystery religion called Sibylle. The Sibylle Addis religion. And one of the things that you found that they loved to do was they loved to beat on gongs and they loved to smack cymbals. They loved it because they thought that was kind of their worship. But here's the problem. There's nothing definitive about that except being jarring. I know you guys have been waiting for this because you saw it up here. I've been anticipating it. Think about it, okay? Think about it. Does this sound like you? When you talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ, when I talk to you, tell me. Is that what I sound like? Or do you see love of what motivates that. Some of us are a little bit more tame. Right? You know, this is one of my most favorite instruments ever. I love the cymbal, man. I do. I love it. You can do all kinds of cool things with it. Right? Sounds kind of good. You can bend it. I love stuff like that. I think that's great. I'd sit there all day long in my basement if I could. My wife would be like, where's my husband? That's what I would do. The problem is, is here's what we think we sound like. Notice you need that line to go with this. Because this... Doesn't sound very good, does it? Especially when some people talk. Does that sound good? You know what some people sound like? Emily hates it when I do this at rehearsal. Can I do it? We'll get up here, rehearse, we'll finish a song, and I'll just go. I'm like digging it in there. I can't even do it now. Yeah. That's a great one. I love that. Is that what we sound like when we talk to one another? Hey, you guys want to hear husband and wife fight? Is that what that sounds like? Some of you just nudged each other and you're in real trouble on Mother's Day, okay? You did. 
It's often what we sound like. And why is that? Because it's become about my preferences and what I want and how I think church ought to look. My little pet things. It's got to be my way. And we do it in the most subtle, deceiving ways. I don't necessarily like that song. And that's the attitude we put off. Is that worship? No. Some of you are very offended I brought cymbals to church. Everybody's like, who knew he had a gong? (laughs) I have another one at home. It's really small though. (laughs) But do you get it? Do you see the problem there? Can you imagine a church trying to communicate and sounding like a bunch of racket? See, the most amazing thing about cymbals in order for them to really sound good, it's got to go with others in order to really matter. It's got to be complementary of others in order to really matter. Now, when Paul's bringing this up, he's talking about, you know what? You're not any better than pagans if love is not fueling this pursuit for tongues, if love is not the context that you're operating in. Look what he says after that in verse 2. And he's, he's got, this, he's got this, this, I don't know, structure that he's got. First he brings up tongues, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, did we see that before in chapter 12? We did, prophecy, preaching, okay? Speaking forth the word of God. And know all mysteries, all, see that? Ooh, he knows all, he's so smart, wow, right? And all knowledge, there's the gift of knowledge. We saw that in chapter 12, verse 8. And if I have all faith, see now that's nice because it crosses the speaking gift line into the serving gift line. We found that in chapter 12, verse 9. All faith, and even references back to Jesus' teaching. So as to remove mountains. They believe to the point to where earth-shattering things happen. There's a problem. But, notice the same part of the structure, do not have what? Love. I am nothing. Now notice before, you were just kind of Right? But now he's using something that's very different. Where this produces something that is jarring. Now we're talking about absence. Nothing. It makes me think of a black hole that maybe a planet would get lost in. It's no good. You may have these gifts. But love is not dressing the context for you to operate in. You're benefiting no person. You're doing nothing. One grammarian, uh, Robertson, says in here, absolute zero. That's what it is. If this is how it's going and you have all these gifts and you're trying to display them and you're exercising them in the body and you think about how you can better your brother and sister in Christ, but you lack love, you are zero. Absolutely nothing. What's your number? Think about it. Sometimes we get so zealous about what is my gift and how can I exercise it, we forgot that love was the basic characterization before gifts ever came along. In John 13, when Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you, guess what? The church wasn't even a thing yet. Spiritual gifts weren't even given yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't even come yet. So his whole command for loving one another with the model as he's loved us presupposes anything that the church would ever do because his command to love was pre-birth. Look what else he says here. 
Verse 3. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor. Uh oh. It's starting to cost you something. The other ones were us displaying things. And maybe somebody might take a note and go, you know what, that person is pretty good. But this right here is actually costing you things. What's the most precious thing that you have? Give it up, sell it, give the money to the poor. Isn't this a problem with the rich young ruler? Everybody remember that? Yeah. Keep the commandments. Yeah, I've done that. Okay, go sell all you own, give it to the poor. Come follow me. Uh, I got to go. And that's exactly what he did. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he owned much. He had great possessions. What does Paul say here? If I give, spiritual gift of giving. Now, what's interesting about this is, is this isn't mentioned in, in Corinthians. It's actually mentioned back in Romans. He brings parts of that gift in. Giving all my possessions to feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned, if I self-sacrifice and say, roast me alive. So we're talking about martyrdom. Okay? Giving my life for the faith. But I do not have what? Love. It profits me nothing. Same word for nothing. It benefits zero. Nobody's grown from that. Nobody benefited from that. Love is not these things. Love is not doing. Love is being. And love is being who you are in Christ. That's what it is. It is who you are in Christ. So verses 1 through 3. I had to write this out because I was going to get confused. Verses 1 through 3 all contain an intentional decision made by the Christians at Corinth to say, I'm going to handle this independent of God. I'm going to speak in tongues without God's help. How do you know? There's no love in it. God is love, yes? And so if we're going to benefit one another, God has got to have a part in what we're doing so that love would come through us. We're not mustering up love in ourselves. That's incredible. In fact, if we ever do that, the only person who's being loved in that situation is self. And that's because we're the greatest self-lovers that's ever been created. Because we're sinful. We've got to have God's love coming through because gifts are always about one another. This is an intentional choice to be independent. Do we not know that we cannot do anything without him? Looks different on Sunday, maybe. Right? Pulling the Bible out of the back seat. Let's dust this thing off. We got to go in. Is that how we operate? Is it, well, you know what? It's good to be a Jesus follower on this day. We had the National Day of Prayer, so I kind of had to do some stuff on that day. But by and large, something as authoritative of God's word has no authority Monday through Saturday. Don't make that mistake. You can't do anything without him. You can't raise kids without him. You can't love grandparents without him. You can't say with pure affection, happy Mother's Day without him. It all comes from him. It's his design. As a body of Christ, how can we not recognize that? Most of all and above all, this pertains to rightly loving one another of his children. That's how gifts are exercised. Our thoughtless approach is to communicate in our own standing, to serve in our own strength, 
to exercise faith in our own abilities and doing so makes spiritual gifts unspiritual in an instant. As soon as I am drawing all the resources for myself, well, I have the spiritual gift of prophecy. As soon as I am preaching to you out of my own person, you better recognize it and call me out and shut me down because I'm not benefiting a hill of beans for anybody. It's better for me to just go ahead and shove my whole mouth in or my whole hand in my mouth and sit down. It's no good for anyone. We must not be grounded. Sorry, we must be grounded in the fact that we are to be exercising grace gifts and not talents and not expertise and not professionalism and not well-reasoned conclusions and certainly not prior experiences. That is not wisdom. You're just sharing how you didn't mess up one time. Okay? That's not wrought from the Spirit. He may have been in that situation to use it, but you have to be discerning of that to bring it forward. All of those things have their source in the flesh. Again, we cannot do anything without Him. So our daily lives are filled with moment-by-moment choices to be dependent upon the divine. And through His precious blood, He has opened the way for never-ending access so that we are never without power and we are never without His presence. But on the flip side, we are always fully culpable for the choices to live independently of what He's commanded. Let that rest on you. There's never a time when you're without his power and his presence unless you've made the choice to try to operate with one another apart from what he's given. At that moment, we deny the divine endowment that we have and we think that we're going to work it out better. That's where all the schisms in church come from. So how do we make a difference in this? The very first place we need to start is to ask him. So here, let me give you an example. Bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for a more excellent way. And that way is love. Because we need to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around that and recognizing that you are love and that all things come from you and that if we are going to love, it has to be your love working through us. Lord, without your power working in me, I cannot love. So Lord, teach us about your love and teach us how to love, especially and how we serve one another with the grace gifts that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that when you teach, because we've asked it of you, we believe you will do it. When you teach, that we would have the eyes to see, the heart to listen. We pray that in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.